Well, we are uh, concluding our series about being out of the box today. Uh, and so as a fun little reminder, you know, we've got these boxes where you can, uh, they're fidgets. You can move them in all sorts of directions as God hopefully can reshape you in the way that God needs to reshape you here and now. So there's some of these fidgets on that back table, if maybe you want to grab one on the way out. Uh, but we've been reading through all these texts that God invites people to do some very strange, unusual things. And God invites us to do some things that don't always make sense. Like, why would I do this? And so we're going to read a text today where the army is going to get some peculiar instructions. And I'm going to read the text. It's a little bit of a long text, but I, I just think we should be honest that probably not very many of us spend a lot of time reading through Second Chronicles. Anybody, is that on the top of your list? Second Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to be. Uh, and so Second Chronicles is an interesting story because it is a story uh, that was crafted over time. It's a retelling of judges and of Samuel and the kings of these earlier stories of Israel's history. And so why would we retell the story? I already have biblical literature of those events. And the chronicler rewrites all of those stories, reshapes them, retells them. And so it's this period of, of wondering, well, what was God doing in our past? And so uh, while the events in our story are going to be from the 800s, this is going to be a text written in the 300s, 500 years later, rethinking through what God has done in the community. So hear these words from 2 Chronicles 20, verses 13 and following. Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the middle of the assembly. He said, listen all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Do not fear or be dismayed as the great multitude is in front of you, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley before the wilderness of Jeruel. This battle is not for you to fight. Take your position, stand still, and see the victory of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And then Jehoshaphat bowed down and his face to the ground. And all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy splendor as they went before the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, the Moabites, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the Ammonites and the Moab attacked the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them utterly. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. 
And so when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked towards this multitude and the corpses were lying on the ground and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came, they took the, the spoils from them. They found the livestock in great number, the goods, the clothings, the precious things which they carried away uh, until they could carry no more. They spent three days taking the spoils because of its abundance. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat as their head, returned to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had enabled them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. The fear of God came on all of the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for as God gave him rest all around. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story is one that we probably don't face in everyday life of that most of us are not enlisted in the military about to go to physical combat. Uh, but there is something about uh, the fear of a tense situation, the fear of a situation where you're like, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me. I'm not sure if I'm going to get torn apart here. I'm not sure if this person's going to talk bad about me, if they're going to hurt me. What, like, there's just these tense environments, these toxic environments where it's just it's scary to walk into. And maybe you've, ever, you've had that feeling where you're like, I, I don't know if I can go in there. I don't know if I can walk into that environment again. And for those of us, when you have that, I think we have a universal signal that you know that your body knows that this is a tense situation. Because <sighs> you take that deep breath before you walk in. Maybe you take another one when you get home. <sighs> but you, you know, the end of that story, when they get to rest, you're like, oh, I just want to rest. But the tensions, you just feel like you're pulled so tightly. You're just not, you don't feel safe. You don't feel like you can be yourself. You don't feel like you can be vulnerable. And it's really tough when you have these toxic environments. I was thinking about uh, in high school, you know, there's something about sports and being on a team that brings people together in some unique ways. Uh, if you've ever been on a team, it, there's just a camaraderie that comes through the good and the bad that comes through those environments. And what brought our team together in this particular team in high school was that, let's just all say that our coach was not our biggest fan. Uh, our coach, ideal bat, batting like, outcome was to swing and like, hit a ground ball to second base. Um, every instruction was just like, swing down, stay down. And he, he was just like, this isn't good, this isn't working. And he brought out, we had a AAA player who was in the Yankees kind of farm system who came out to practice and threw BP and was giving instruction. And he came over to me and was like, hey, on first base, if you're, if you're holding somebody on, here's a better way to hold them on. You, you don't they can't block you, you got better mobility. And then the coach that we all had difficulty with walked over and said, no, 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 here's how you do it, and told me to do the, the way, other way. So for that one time only, I did what that coach said, and then from then on, I did what the uh, more skilled person had taught. That made a lot of sense. But we all struggled with, like, what do we do with this person who keeps telling us these things that don't make sense and, and he keeps being kind of harsh to us? And, and so we had a ritual. Rituals, you know, habits are, are always interesting. Our ritual was in the locker room before practice, uh, some of the seniors would turn on the music. And now I'm not from this era, but uh, 
they would turn on, we're not gonna take it. No, we're not gonna take it. We're not gonna take it anymore. To which we said, okay, we can make it through this practice. <laughs> but there's something about like needing a, a battle cry, need a rallying cry to make it through this environment where everyone's like, this is a headache. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's going on. And I think that there's something too. The, the kingdom of Judah feels surrounded. In the story, there's three different enemies. Sometimes you're like, I can handle one maybe on my good days. But like, there's three different enemies. I'm surrounded. I don't know what to do. And, and I love that it gives you the image. Now, all too often, the Bible does not tell you what's going on for the children in the story. It does not tell you what's going on for the women in the story. But it includes it here to say, everybody's gathered. These soldiers are not just out to go fight on their own. Their families are with them. And they're saying, well, what are we supposed to do? How am I supposed to walk out into that battlefield? Because it's too much. There's no way we survive this. What are we going to do? And in the midst of that, it is not King Jehoshaphat who is not going to give you the William Wallace moment. He's not giving you the big speech. He's not going to come in and rally the troops. It's a, a Levite, someone who's kind of raised up around what it is to kind of take care of the temple uh, and to worship God and to lead others in worship. And this, this man walks up and says, thus says the Lord, the prophetic entry point into most of these prophetic announcements. I can't imagine that's an easy thing to say. Even if you 100% believe God has spoken to you, God has told you something, it is a whole different thing to hear it and then to go in front of a multitude of people and say, thus says the Lord. And so I can't imagine the courage it takes to use your voice in this assembly when everybody's scared and afraid and you're like, okay, God, I've got to give this message. You know, you could have given this message to King Jehoshaphat. That would have been nice, God. You could have just spoken to everybody. Why, why do you need to speak through me? But he stands up and he talks to the people. He tells them, thus says the Lord. And he says, listen, all Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed at this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I want to pause there. When we feel afraid of the tense environments that we're in, it tends to be because we feel like we bear the responsibility and the weight of the entire outcome ourselves. Say, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do enough for this. I don't know how I'm going to be effective enough. I don't know how I'm going to make, like, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? But what if it's just, I have to have responsibility for my part of this. I have a calling. I have something I'm supposed to say. I have something I'm supposed to do. I can tell the assembly these things. I can't make the assembly respond the way that I want them to. But, but what's my part in this? The battle is not yours, but God's. And so he tells them, God says, go down like you're going to battle. Go start marching. Get your stuff together. Take your position. Stand still and see the victory of the Lord on your behalf. That's not, like, that sounds amazing. It's really hard, I'm sure, to live out. Because you're like, okay, I've got to get prepared to battle. I'm going to go there and I'm going to stand still. This is the great plan that you've designed for me. 
Think about the baseball thing of like, really, my plan is to just swing at the ground? <laughs> what is that going to do? Like, God, there's got to be some better plans, right? I, like, okay, so I get it. I get it. I get my stuff. We go down there, and you stand still, and you watch. You keep your eyes open, and you see that God has victory ahead for you. And so, go stand, watch, see the victory of the Lord on your behalf. Do not fear or be dismayed, for tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. There's something to when you feel surrounded, realizing that you're also surrounded by God. There's a tension that comes when you're in those toxic environments where you just feel so stretched. But what is it to realize that God is just as close, more close than that? that enemy, that toxic environment that you're so afraid of. And so they're supposed to go with, without fear, go stand, go watch, go trust, go be with God. And what's interesting is that Jehoshaphat, he worships God, the people follow suit, they say, yes, this sounds amazing. And they actually go through with it. And I love that in the story, Jehoshaphat makes some, some like he interprets it in some unique ways. And so he creates a certain strategy to this marching to the spot and stopping. Usually on your battle lines, you don't probably want to be on the front lines of the battle. That's not a great place, especially in ancient warfare. Uh, being on the front line is just a death sentence. I mean, that's why like King David, he's famous for sending Bathsheba's husband off and putting him in the front line so that he would die in battle. That's not where you want to be. And so Jehoshaphat says, okay, if you're a musician, raise your hand, you're going to the front of the line. We're not putting the people who are likely to start, you know, shooting arrows, throwing spears. Go with your instruments and go praise God and just watch. And so the army comes marching with the trumpets and the, the musicians and the instruments, and they just celebrate God. And they watch as the toxic environment out-toxifies itself until it destroys itself. I think there's something meaningful to imagining this in our own lives. Sometimes we're so afraid of like, how do I respond to this unhealthy environment? Sometimes you just need to step away from it because it's about to destroy everyone and everything in its path. And sometimes that's the consequences of sin is God just allowing you to fall into the own pit that you've dug for yourself. And so sometimes there's environments that are just so unhealthy that they're just going to devour you and everybody else. Toxic environments tend to make toxic people. And so sometimes we have to learn with wisdom, when is it that God is calling us out of that? To go stand outside it, realize that there's a world beyond that tense environment, and to let the chaos of it play out so that ultimately God ends up winning out where a new day, new life can go forward afresh. But it's not easy to, to take that. You know, we, we feel like, I don't know about you, like, uh, especially for many of us, we see a problem, we want to fix the problem. And so, you know, if you hear someone telling you a story about their toxic environment that they're working through, and you're like, oh, here, I know the exact route to fix this problem. But what if it's just, hey, you're safe with me. Maybe, maybe you just need to get away from that for a little while. What if you just need to rest? And so the kingdom of Judah 
rests from the battle and they sing praises to God and they don't go off to war on that occasion. And I was thinking about how great it is. If you're trying to think about how do I not be afraid? How do I just stand still? Having music fill your spirit helps you not be afraid. And I don't know what your heart songs are of like the songs that just like, if you had a soundtrack to your life, if they're making a movie of it, that's the song that keeps playing in your life. And I was thinking about the songs that are meaningful to me having grown up. Um, my dad was very musical and he passed of cancer when I was little. But one of the memories I do have of him was he was a retail store manager and you know, they work lots of hours and they'd get transferred around the country. But he liked to sing the song, Deo, Deo, daylight come and me won't go home. And he had a, a coworker whose name was Greeno. And so he translated that into Greeno, Greeno. He'd sing that every time he saw his friend. And, and it's just like, you know, we're working really hard, but you just want to rest and you just want to go home. We want to be with family. And it's just a song to help you make it through the day, just endure. And we have different songs that help us endure. And I was thinking about, um, I, I just kind of go to Les Mis and there's always just one day more for me. One day more, another day, another destiny. I just love that song. And so it's just like, okay, we'll just make it one more day. If we can just go one more day, we'll make it. And I'll have to admit that there's another song that I have to play sometimes, which is the antithesis of the story. But in Hamilton, uh, Aaron Burr gives some advice to Hamilton. Talk less, smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. You want to get ahead? Fools who run their mouth oft wind up dead. <laughs> there are some environments where you're like, I know it's not safe for me to just be me here. If I say what I think, if I say how I feel, I'm just going to get chewed up. I'm going to be ostracized. I'm going to be the stranger. I'm going to get pushed away. Can you just talk less, smile more, just for, just for a day? And the sad thing is, that's not how we want to live. But it is a coping mechanism. And I think it's a tragedy. You know, we, we should feel like we can be safe to be ourselves, to just voice what God's doing in our lives. I had a, a pastor's group. It was meant to be like a support for all the ministry stuff going on in your life. And there was this one pastor who would always start out the conversation before we actually got started and say, can I just ask a question? And then he would pose the most like controversial question. Do you believe this or that? So he'd give you a framework, yes or no, this or that, into something that's just going to be divisive. And the whole time I'm thinking like, now you're just going to out me as being the, the one oddball in this group every time that we do this thing. And so he would ask, do you think this or that? And I'd say, actually, I disagree with the question. <laughs> neither, neither of those things. And you're like, but is it worth being out there in that? And so what is it to, to sing songs of endurance, not songs of escaping, but songs of here's what God has to say about the situation. Like what if the hillside was filled with them singing about God's goodness, about what God could do, what, what possibilities exist, what love could look like? Like what, what are the words of the songs that are echoing in the hills as these musicians are playing? And I'm conscientious of the fact that, you know, I picked this text prior to the last week's events, uh, prior to more violence, more death, more tragedy. And 
you know, there's different things that hit you, right? Like I, I saw the video of the Michigan State professor talking about what his students were having to go through in, the, in that shooting. And, and the ones that, that stayed behind to put pressure on wounds and to stay with classmates. But I think the thing that broke my heart was the three-word text message that was sent out across campus, run, hide, fight. There are toxic environments that we know exist that we try to stay away from, and then there's the things that we can't, that come upon us, that, that we didn't choose this awful situation. Like, wh why am I in the midst of this ugly, terrible thing? And so how do I fight? How do I survive? How do I, how do I keep going? And in the face of that awful violence, senseless violence, there's a real frustration with people that I think you could read this story as these, these people of Judah are just standing on the hillside giving thoughts and prayers and not doing anything. There's a difference, I think, between offering surface-level prayers where you're just saying, oh, I feel bad. Oh, I'm thinking of you. Oh, I'll pray for you, but I'm not actually going to pray for you. Oh, this moment, I'll just say one minute of prayer, and then, and then I'll move about my day, like nothing has changed. But what if our prayers and our songs were so deep in our hearts and our souls that they grew fruit that changed us and changed our world around us? What if the people on the hillside didn't have the same level of fear going forward? They said, I know what it is to cry out that God is, is greater. I'm not going to take the battle myself. And maybe they're changed going forward. Maybe, what is it for us to offer prayers in the times of tragedies that says, I don't want this to happen again. How do I figure out how to, to make people safer? Because I don't want to just say a prayer and move on. I want this prayer to flower into something meaningful, something lasting, something that changes me, changes the world around me. So how might our heart songs not just be things that help us check out from the world, but help us check in to the world around us? And I was thinking about um, one of my favorite songs uh, around the Christmas season is Oh Holy Night. Anybody love Oh Holy Night? There's just something so beautiful about that song, especially into the chorus of, of falling on your knees in worship. That It's picturing Luke 4, it's picturing the shepherds, and, and the Christ is born, and, and what a beautiful night. How do I just come and worship God wherever I find him, even in strange, unusual places? Did you know Oh Holy Night was almost banned, basically? It, it, it almost did not get to exist as a song. Uh, when it was created in the 1800s, it was written in 1843. So for the life of our church community, know that our church was founded in 1839. So four years after this church was founded, there was a Frenchman who was asked to write a, a lyric for a song at the restoration of some stained glass and, and some instruments in their cathedral in, in 1843. And so uh, Mr. Capot penned what would be called Midnight Christians. Uh, it's this French poem about, that was what we know of as O Holy Night. So he writes this poem, and then you need some music for it. So they go find a composer of secular operas, uh, and he puts some music to it. And it gets popular in France. People are singing the song, but you know, when you didn't get to commission it yourself, you're like, wait, let's look at the lyrics. You know, arguments about music have always existed. <laughs> I don't like this new song. 
let's examine this song. Who wrote this song? What's it about? And so they looked at it and they're like, well, you know, I don't like that the lyricist is kind of secular and he's kind of, uh, maybe he's a little radical. Maybe who, who is this guy? And then there were some rumors that the composer was Jewish. And they're like, you know what, let's just, let's just get rid of this song. We don't need to sing O Holy Night. Around that time, in the uh, early 1850s, 1855, in the United States, there was an English minister named John Sullivan Dwight who got word of this poem and this song, and he looked at it, and the verse 3 of that song in particular stood out to him because, I don't know if you know, but in the 1850s, America was going through some drama before we got to the Civil War. And verse 3 of the song had a lot to do with slavery and freedom. And so he decided to translate this song into English. And verse 3 of the song that he translates it as says, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let, us, let all within us praise his holy name. And he said, this is beautiful. And he translates it into English. And it took off in America. Obviously not in some environments. Not in some environments where they sang verse 3. But what was powerful is singing out the reality that there might be something better with God. That maybe, just maybe God's justice is needed. Maybe God's love is needed. Maybe God's freedom is needed. Not just make me feel good, let me fall on my knees and worship, just let's have a nice song time. But how do I see that the slave is my brother? The song was not meant to just make you feel good. It was meant to help empower people to live out God's kingdom, which wasn't like the kingdom of this world. And so what if we had heart songs? Let all within us praise his name. What if our heart songs had, had lyrics, had, had celebrations of who God is that made us want to change the world around us to look a little bit more like God? Not to just sing about it, the future without thinking about my present, but maybe God has something for us to change right now. What if we cried out like the prophet Isaiah and said, God, can you please take our swords and make them into plowshares? What if our weapons had no more purposes? We got rid of war and we said, what else could we do with these things? What if we could cry out to God, God, we want your kingdom. We're tired of just sitting idly by, use us, shape us, let us bring about your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so today, I hope that you have a heart song. I hope you have something that God is calling out of your spirit that you just can't help but sing about who God is. And that might be in songs that are more obviously about God and might be something that's not as obvious about God, but that God is using in you and through you. I hope that your song is not that you should talk less and smile more. I hope that you feel your voice matters. You can be in the assembly of people surrounded by armies, but maybe, just maybe, God has a word for you that you need to say out loud and not just hold in tightly. Amen. And so, 
in just a little while, we're going to be singing Hosanna. We're going to be singing about God save us. What is it to make that your heart cry? Not just right, right now in worship, but as you go out from here, as you're with your friends, as you're with your family, as you're with your coworkers, God, how do you save us here and now? What does your kingdom look like? Help me to use my voice because my voice matters. Your voice matters. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come in with very different stories into the space together and you hold all of our stories together. Lord, I pray that your victory might be seen in all of the battles that we are going through. Lord, the armies that surround us might be different. For some, the armies might be of depression. For some, the armies might be of despair, of loneliness, of hunger, of doubt. Lord, wherever those armies are, help us to, to be able to stand from a vantage point up with you, look down on it, and to trust your presence in the midst of our battles. Lord, we ask for the wisdom to know the words that you want to sing through us and around us. Lord, help us to have rallying cries of how great you are, how wonderful are your ways. Lord, help us to not give up on those around us, on this world. Help us to still see people with your eyes, your love. Help us to endure. Help us to thrive. And Lord, help our worship, our very beings, our very hearts, our spirits translate into our everyday lives. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.